Take your Bibles, if you will, and <clears throat> open them to Ephesians chapter 1. One of the greatest things that ever, ever happened in my life is GPS. I don't know what I ever did before GPS. <clears throat> One thing you know about GPS, though, is, is that when you put in your phone a location that you're going to it seems like it takes forever sometimes because it's trying to determine where you're at because in order to get where you're going you have to know from where you're starting you have to know your current position you have to know the place where you are reminds me of a story Jerry Clower used to tell I love the story about the four men who were driving down the road in Mississippi. And they entered a little town called Kasiusko, Mississippi. And the driver said, guys, we're in Kasiusko. Guy in the back seat said, that's not the way you pronounce it. It's not Kasiusko. It's Kosiusko. The other guy piped up and said, You're both wrong. It's pronounced Kosiusko. They kept arguing about how to pronounce the name of the town. They pulled into a fast food restaurant and they got out and as they were making their way in. They were still arguing about how you pronounce the name of this town and they went up to the counter to order some food and there was a young lady behind the counter and first guy in line said ma'am could you help us out he said we're in kind of a disagreement here and um, uh, we just uh, would like some help um, uh, we would like for you to pronounce the name of this place um, uh, we're we're confused and we can't seem to agree. Uh, so if you would, would you just real slowly, would you pronounce the name of this place? The young lady looked at those guys with an odd kind of look. She went, Dairy Queen. I'm going to remember that one. That's the best one I've told y'all in 20 years. <laughs> uh, listen, the point is, you got to know where you are before you can get to where you're going. Amen? Amen? Paul comes here in this 15th verse of Ephesians chapter 1. And he wants us to know as Christians we're on a spiritual journey. Paul has already reminded us in the first 14 verses of this chapter about where we are. He's, he's showing us the place where we have started, the place where many of us are on this spiritual journey. We're on this road trip, as it were. And we're looking towards that day when we will 
reach heaven. And we will receive that glorious inheritance that Paul has reminded us of. He told us in verse 3, we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Through the Father's selection of us, the Son saving us, and the Spirit sealing us. We also have a promised inheritance awaiting us. So presently, our lives are in Christ. That's our spiritual location. That's our starting point. The question for us is this, and this is a question any traveler would ask, and that is, how do we get from where we are to where we're going? How do we best navigate our way to our heavenly home? According to Paul, here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, we need more and more knowledge of God. So in the text this morning, in verses 15 through 23, we see two things that stand out in these verses. First, Paul praised God for the great faith in Christ and the love for other Christians that the Ephesian believers had shown. That's the place where they were at in their spiritual journey. They had expressed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were showing great love for other believers. But Paul knew that they couldn't stop there. That was just the starting point of the Christian life, to reach their heavenly inheritance, to reach their promised uh, inheritance in heaven. They needed to know more and more about God in order to navigate their way to heaven. So here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to take away from the text, um, beginning in verse 15 and going through verse 23. More and more knowledge of God. In other words, to increase. Uh, the Bible says we are to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We're to grow. We're to increase in our knowledge of God. Why? Because that knowledge, that increased knowledge of God helps us in navigating our way from where we are to where we're going. And the more knowledge we acquire, the more knowledge we attain, the better the trip is going to be. So if you ever want a reason for why you should go to Bible study or why you should have your devotions or why you should study the Word of God, here it is right here. The more knowledge you have of God, the more knowledge you have of His Word, the better the journey from here to heaven is going to be for you. Well, let's look in these verses, which we've read earlier. Paul recounts for the Ephesian believers the reasons that he praised God for them in verses 15 and 16. And then in verses 17 through 23, Paul prays for them and he makes three requests in his prayers for these believers. Now, we're going to look at those requests and Paul's prayer next Sunday. But I want us to look at the first 
uh, point the reasons for Paul's praise of the Ephesian believers. Paul says, look again in your Bible. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, Paul starts out with the words, for this reason. Now, you need to, when you see those words, you need to think about what's he talking about? For what reason? Well, Paul goes on to list the evidence of his confidence in the genuineness of the Ephesian believer's salvation, which he's just described and talked about in verses 4 through 14. Paul outlines there the fundamental truths of salvation, that we are called, we're selected by God before the foundation of the world. We are saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we are sealed by God's Holy Spirit and guaranteed a future inheritance in heaven. And it is for these blessings that Paul says he praises God for the Ephesian Christians and others who read this letter. Now, Paul knows that these believers are spiritually wealthy. They have a lot of good that he is thankful for. Um, <clears throat> the reason he is so certain of this is because of two things that he's noticed or heard about in their lives. Faith in their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. I want to talk about those two things this morning that Paul talks about, that Paul is thankful for when he thinks about these believers in the church in Ephesus. He praises God, first of all, for their trust in Christ. Now look again. Paul says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, I do not cease to give thanks to God. Paul says, I've heard about your faith in Christ. And it is such faith that it just stirs my heart. It moves me every time I think about your faith in Jesus Christ. I am so thankful. And, and all I can do is praise God for your saving faith. Now, the apostle has evidently heard of their faith while he is in prison in Rome. Many of these believers whom he's talking about, he's never met, but he's heard how strong their faith is, how they confessed Christ and turned from their pagan idols. The emphasis is on true saving faith. The faith that transforms one's whole life, their way of thinking, their way of speaking, their way of living. Paul has heard about what the gospel impact has had on these believers in Ephesus, and Paul is moved with praise. Now, the emphasis, as I said, is on true saving faith with the lordship of Christ as the object of their faith. Genuine faith in Christ will always be a cause for rejoicing in our lives. 
Listen, when you see somebody being baptized, and I've said, y'all have heard me say this for 20 years. What we just experienced up there in that baptistry ought to bring every member of this church out of the woodworks and in this place on a Sunday morning because nothing ought to stir our hearts more than to see those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is stirred. He doesn't even know these people. And Paul is so stirred, excited about the faith that he hears. Um, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. A study of the New Testament helps us to see why uh, Paul is excited and Paul praised God for their faith. We learn, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that it is faith that pleases God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, we learn the just shall live by faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which we'll be looking at in just a few weeks, we're saved through faith. In Romans 3, 22, we learn strong faith gives glory to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, we read where faith is a reflection of the power of God. In Romans 4, verse 20, strong faith gives glory to God. Galatians 3, 2, we learn the Holy Spirit is received by faith. No wonder Paul is excited. Paul knows that it is faith which is what makes the difference in one's life. Life. Now that word faith means to be persuaded. The word itself means primarily a conviction based on hearing. The Ephesians had been persuaded to hold to the truths of the gospel that they had heard preached concerning Christ. They, they were persuaded that that gospel that they heard the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ was indeed true. Friend, you cannot be a Christian unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way you will ever be accepted by God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You cannot Become a believer in Jesus. In, you cannot become a child of God unless you put your faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. And the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ and His saving work on the cross. Jesus must be the object of our faith. You, listen, you can have a ton of faith, but if it's in the wrong thing, it will not help you one bit. Your faith is only as effective as the object your faith is in. So then here's the question this morning. In whom or what are you trusting this morning? Is it truly Jesus and Him alone? 
True saving faith puts its trust in Christ alone for salvation. And we need to understand this as we go and we talk to people and we share with people, whether it's family members or co-workers or neighbors, and all of a sudden they're saying, well, you know, I'm not opposed to Christianity and I think that that's a good thing. And um, But I believe that everybody has a right to believe what they want to believe and I believe that there are more ways to heaven. And yet, we, because we don't want to upset someone or we don't want to hurt someone and we don't want to be criticized, we just kind of back off and we don't say anything. Can I just say, by not saying anything, you're giving the impression that you're okay with what they've just said? There's a way in which you can come back at someone who claims that there are other ways to God in that you know, the, 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 what you believe is good for you and what I believe is good for me without being arrogant or mean-spirited. I mean, if you're mean-spirited, you've probably got an attitude problem anyway. And if you've got an attitude problem, which we're going to see in just a minute, that's another good sign that your own Christianity may be in question. Paul says that he is overjoyed as he hears the news that these believers in Ephesus have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now understand, that was not an easy thing to do for these folks because of the culture, the environment in which they lived. Everything was anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Christ. And yet, their faith was strong. Listen, I was reading something the other day. It came across something I was reading, and I saw this thing about this article about Christians in North Korea. Can you imagine being a Christian in North Korea in this day and time? You think it's hard to be a Christian to express faith in Jesus Christ in America? Think about how hard it would be to be a believer in North Korea. Paul is overwhelmed by the faith of these Ephesian believers. Let me ask you this. Is your faith such that the people who know you are stirred by the fact that there is something different about you? Because you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've claimed that you love Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Do other people know that and do they see a difference in your life to where they rejoice in what's taking place in your life? Paul heard about the faith of these Ephesian believers and Paul is going, look, your faith speaks volumes about who you are. And I am so thankful that you have given your heart to Jesus. And Paul says, I thank God for you. I praise God for you. I pray for you. Well, not only was he praising God <clears throat> for their trust in Christ, but look in the second place. He was also praising God for their treatment of other Christians. Look what he says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, look at this, toward all the saints. 
I do not cease to give thanks for you. Friend, that is crucial right there. If one salvation has not made them a more loving person, it is not genuine salvation. You say, well, Rick, what do you mean? It is merely intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. It was this quality, this second quality, more than anything else that most distinguished the Christians from the heathen in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. The environment in Ephesus had become hostile and brutal. People were hateful. They were cruel. They were evil. They were selfish. But the Christians were different in the midst of this hostile and brutal culture, environment. Christians were kind and considerate to one another. Their love for one another was a testimony to the love of Christ, and Paul was thankful to hear about it. These Ephesians loved, look at this, <clears throat> all this, you ought to circle that little word all. Not just some of the Christians, not just most of the Christians, Paul says, they loved all the saints. Friend, listen, Christian love is indiscriminate. It does not pick and it does not choose which believers it will love. Christ loves all believers. Do we agree with that? We agree that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If God loves all all Christians, all believers, all members of his family, then if we're truly a member of his family and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we too must love all believers. All believers. So Christian love extends to all Christians to the extent that it does not. It is less than Christian. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, <clears throat> if we have doctrine, no matter how solid our doctrine is, if our doctrine is without love, our doctrine is like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. True salvation goes from the head and the heart of the individual out to other Christians in the fellowship and out from the other Christians in the fellowship to those in the world outside our doors. The Apostle John emphasized this truth in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. You remember what John said there? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You say, well, wh what exactly is love? We talk about that word a lot. What, what, what really does it mean? Well, you know, we throw around 
that word love. In fact, we say, of course I love all Christians. Dr. Charles Lowry has come up with a good acrostic for the word love. He says the L means you will listen. You will listen. If you really love someone, you will give them your undivided attention and not ignore them. You will listen to what they have to say. You will show them that you are uh, interested in what they have to say. And what they have to say will be important to you. And they will know that and they will appreciate it. Who doesn't like when someone truly listens to you? So, the L... We just listen to people. We show an interest in people. We let them know that they're important enough to us that we want to spend time listening to their heart, listening to their mind, listening to what they have to say. The O means that you will overlook their faults and their weaknesses. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, that great chapter on love, love keeps no record of wrongs. <clears throat> the way to know you truly do not love someone is to keep a list of all the things they've done wrong and keep bringing it up to them. Or to point out the things that you don't like about someone. That's a clear sign that you don't really love that person. Love means, yes, you've got faults, I've got faults, you've got weaknesses, I've got weaknesses, you've got quirky things about you, I've got quirky things about me, but we understand that just as, it, as God looks down on us and sees beyond our faults and our weaknesses and our sins and the quirkiness of us, God looks at us and says, I love you unconditionally and I accept you, warts and all. And if we truly love people, we will accept them as they are. We will not put up boundaries. We will not put them in a box and expect them to dance to our tune. We will love them as they are. The V, that means the person is valuable to you. They have value in your eyes because they have value in God's eyes. Others may disrespect them. Others may make fun of them or look down on them because of their dress or their odd behavior, but because you know they are valuable to God, they will be valuable to you. I want to ask you just a really simple, practical question this morning. Is there anybody in this fellowship that you just don't care to be around, or you just don't care about, or you just don't like? It's between you and God in your own head. If someone comes to your mind, can I just say to you, that's the person you need to be praying about. 
that God would give you a love for as much as anybody else in this church. Because until we can honestly say we love the whole body, we are not going to be able to enjoy the body as God intends for us. The Bible says, again, I go back, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not just those that were pretty, not just those that were smart, not just those that were educated, not just those who had the most money. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that person that may have come to your mind just now in answer to that question, remind yourself often that God in his grace and God in his love sent his son to die for that person. For that person. The people are valuable in our eyes, regardless of who they are. And then the E in love means we ought to encourage those we love. You will either tear somebody down or you will build them up. You either tear them down or you'll build them up. Um, wouldn't it be a better world? And wouldn't we have an even sweeter fellowship here at Cornerstone if this week we all intentionally said only nice, encouraging things to all the people that we cross paths with and refrain from saying anything negative saying anything critical, and just thought of all the positive things we could say about a person, all the good things about a person, rather than thinking about the negative things. Think how much better your life would be at work, in your family, here at church, and everywhere else if we were more encouraging to the people that God has placed in our life. That's the sort of love the Ephesian Christians had for all the saints. It's unfortunate that some so-called Christians have a loveless kind of faith because it is doubtful whether such faith is even genuine. True faith cannot exist apart from true love. And Paul, looked, Paul heard the report about these Christians in Ephesus and Paul says, I am so overjoyed to hear First of all, about your faith in Christ. And secondly, your faith in Christ is proved genuine by the report I hear about your love for all the saints. And Paul says, I am so thankful and I praise God for you. That's the first part of this passage. Paul is reminded of these things about these believers and because of who they are Paul is going to pray for them that God would increase their knowledge of himself so in the next message we're going to look at the request that Paul makes on behalf of these believers whom he has just given praise for let me ask you to stand with me and bow your heads
with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I, friend, I just, I, I, I really, I just want to impress upon us as a church. I've heard more people this weekend talking about what a, I've heard people who are new to this church, people who've been in this church for several years say, this is one of the most loving churches that I've ever been a part of. People just just seem to always want to step up and do things for people and people that I don't even know just seem to be, uh, you know, contacting me and asking me if I can uh, if they can do something, if they can pray about something that they've heard. And, and it, it, it's just mind-boggling, as one person said to me. And, I, and, you know, that is a great testimony for any church family. But I wonder, are we as loving as we could be? Right now, I want to just challenge all of us, as God has challenged me this week, to just ask God to give you a greater love in your heart for the people of God. And not just the people of Cornerstone, not just the people in this church family, but those in other churches and across our city, around our state and nation for Christians all over the world red, yellow black and white they're all precious in his sight are they as precious in our sight would Paul be thankful of the report that he would hear about us individually and as a body Are we proud of the fact that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Has that made a difference in our lives? And are we showing that our faith is genuine by showing love and grace and a willingness to forgive and accept the people that God has placed into our lives? Well, I just pray that you would have your way in each of us this day. Lord, we want to be a sweeter fellowship. We want to be a fellowship of believers that best represents the body of Christ. We want to be people who have a strong faith in Jesus. We want to be a people who have a great love for all of your children, for all believers. And so we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts. And in this time of invitation, for we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.